0: So the Lincoln Project tweeted that Fox News is a threat to democracy. Well, at least Fox News is allowed within 500 feet of a playground. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ruthless.
1: Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations
2: in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. Oh, you'll regret this? And you may regret it a lot sooner than you think.
1: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness.
3: Well, good Thursday to the minions and all the fans of the variety program. That was a nice little ditty on the opener (laughs) smug.
0: I, you know, I, I hesitated because I know how thirsty the Lincoln project is for attention from us. Oh, they just get that little bit. They're so thirsty for attention from us. But hey, what are you going to do?
3: I mean, they're name checking us and everything they do. But you know what? I, I don't want to cover them at all. I, I feel like uh, that's that's done. It's over and done with. And there is plenty of of serious news. Look, we always like to have a good time. Right. Yeah. But the one thing about the variety program. Is that we also tell you what matters. Mm hmm. And we try to source ourselves up to the point where we know what the hell we're talking about. We're not giving you talking points or or bullshit from either side. We're going to cut through all of the nonsense that is dividing the party, that is captivating the national media. And we're going to go right into it in this very program.
0: Yeah. You know, usually we talk about how, like, we like to have, you know, some serious stuff and we like throwing out some fun stuff, you know, some candy for the show. This episode is like it's like nitroglycerin. It's uh it's like a Red Bull and vodka. You know, you're gonna get you're gonna get great info, but this is gonna be just action-packed, nonstop fun. I'm 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 very excited, especially for the guests we have on today's show.
3: I like the RBV reference. I yeah. don't think I've had one of those since college. Thank God my heart would probably explode <laughs> if I did. This this
0: episode is is no chill. Uh the folks are gonna get more than their money's worth.
3: Ladies and gentlemen our interview today we have jd vance we do we got jd vance who's such an interesting guy from so many different ways i think most people know him obviously for hillbilly elegy and we go into it about you know how basically the mainstream media needed a decoder ring to try to figure out how people were voting for trump and they used his book basically is and he talks about how uncomfortable that sort of was but but he's much more than that uh you know the guy was an iraq war veteran yeah um He is a really thoughtful dude who provides great perspective beyond electoral politics, just on cultural issues in this country. And he's got some people who are asking him to run for Senate. So we covered that too. Yeah. I mean, I can't hide. Uh, I'm a fan of J.D. Vance. This
0: guy's a veteran, an author, a businessman. He can make libs furious just by stating the obvious, which I think is like his special ability. He makes the Never Trumpers squeal by attacking woke corporations. And like you said, he could be the next center from Ohio. Yeah. You know, I hope, I hope you did a good job of pushing him into that race. Cause we really need him. Well, Can't wait I, for that interview.
3: I think you'll enjoy it. You know, we've talked, there's sometimes clubhouse does a uh, post show show where mm-hmm. we talk about this at night. Uh, and I have, I have showed my cards a little bit and saying that like some of these interviews go a little longer than others because, it's just sort of you keep getting good info and so you don't want to cut it off. This is one of them. This yeah, is I, I, one of them.
0: I got a heads up from our producer that this is, they They said point blank, this could be our best interview. So, yeah. hey. Many people are saying. Many people are saying. Many so. people
3: are saying. So, but first and foremost, we need to tackle the topic du jour, the one that, I think most conservatives would like to avoid because it's uncomfortable, but we never do that. here yep. on ruthless. We love uncomfortability. We feed off of it. Yep. Um, and that is the Liz Cheney situation.
0: Surprise, because I know there's a lot of people who are like, holy shit, you guys are going to actually talk about this. That's right, folks. We go there. We talk about what needs to be talked about. And,
3: and this is what everyone is talking about. So we're going to get into it. We're getting into it. You have heard for months on Ruthless, don't take the bait, don't allow the media to dictate what you care about, don't get sucked into narratives that are not of your own creation, that are designed basically to destroy the Republican Party, to to minimize any opposition to a socialist view of what this country is becoming without a Republican Party, right? I mean, we've seen what Joe Biden is trying to do and the left and the media, trying to aid and abet that along the way. And what their, their most popular thematic, and you actually hear this from the Lincoln Project who tells you this, but mm-hmm. um, their most common thematic is to try to divide the Republican Party to convince everybody that there's a civil war, right? When there absolutely is not a civil war. Mm-hmm. But now comes the perfect opportunity for them to do that because you've got this leadership rift within the House of Rep, uh, of Representatives in the Republican party between Liz Cheney, who's the conference chair, McCarthy, who obviously leads the party, and then just sort of the the party writ large. And there's this big discussion about whether to ouster. You'll recall, she voted for impeaching President Trump. And shortly thereafter, the vast majority of her colleagues supported her in continuing to hold that leadership position, right? Mm -hmm. That's an important piece of information here because what you're not hearing out of the mainstream media is the truth about what why this is an issue before us. What they will tell you is, here we are, it's another referendum on Trump, right? It's another Republican Party civil war between two different visions of what the party ought to be. That is utter and complete nonsense. It's total gaslighting. Total gaslighting. It doesn't have a damn thing to do with Donald Trump. It doesn't have a damn thing to do with a different ideological view or or philosophical view or moral view, which is increasingly the code word that the left uses for, well, it's all about the morals, (laughs) the morals of the party. What this is about plain and simple is leadership politics. And let me explain that to people because having worked as a chief of staff for Senate Republican leader, uh, I can tell you leadership politics sometimes drives a conversation in the way that you don't understand because it's not, it, it's not responsive to the national electorate. It's responsive to the people who serve in Congress. That's how That's who elects your leadership, right? American people don't directly elect a Senate leader or a House leader or a House conference. It's their colleagues who do. So leadership politics is kind of a big deal. There is one maxim that cannot be altered in leadership politics. You have to always make your job or your colleague's job easier than it would ordinarily be without you. That's key. That's leadership. That's what it is. What are you doing to create an environment that gives your party and all of its members the ability to be together, to stick together, to have the most cohesive message, the most effective message, and ultimately be on the winning side of elections? That's your job, mm-hmm. right? It's it's really simple. And then beyond that, do you make it easier? Are they take? Are they providing a heat shield? for you as a member to not have to weigh into every shitty thing that the media comes up to, or alternatively, are they making it more difficult for you? Yep. Right. The end of every leadership position in Republican party and democratic party politics is when they make it more difficult for their members. Mm -hmm. Right. Liz Cheney had an election on her view of impeachment, she had it. She won with a huge majority saying, we may disagree with her on that issue, but we think she's an effective spokesperson for the party. We think she does a good job and we have a big tent here. We just wanna win going forward. I mean, that's the thing
0: is, you did such a great job framing it. The, the job of leadership is to make the lives of your members easier. Your job is to keep the team together, not to splinter off. And this whole thing, this is not over a vote or an issue. Folks, think about how this just like randomly appeared. This this like magical, oh, is, is this about Trump? Is this not about Trump? CNN's ratings are down 50%. Do you know why they want this? They don't want to talk about how in Texas we crushed it and it's looking like we got a red wave on the way. No, they don't want to talk about that. They don't want to talk about how Manchin is essentially just like completely killed the Biden agenda. Biden, the entire administration, all their goals are stuck right now. They can't talk about it. How are they going to fill up the airwaves? Well, let's go back to the hits. Our ratings are down. Let's say, uh, you know, Republican Civil War. For anyone to take that bait is not helping your members. Taking that bait is not leadership. They don't want to talk about, uh, you know, here's an example when AOC and Nancy Pelosi had their differences, right? Did, did you see journos going up to Kevin McCarthy and being like, hey, what are your thoughts on AOC and, and Pelosi going after each other? Never. There's none of, of that. They no. would never do that. But what did they do? yet? Uh, the other day, there's like, hey, Nancy Pelosi, what are your thoughts on uh, this Liz Cheney situation?
1: They know yep. what they're doing. They know exactly they know what, what they're, they're doing. doing. They know exactly what they're doing because they don't want us to be focusing on the fact that we're staring down the Green New Deal yep. and DC statehood and packing the courts, yep. ending the filibuster. Mm-hmm. We have Fifty seats in the Senate. There's a six seat margin in the House. Yep. We are on the precipice of gaining back control of Congress and defeating the Biden agenda. The media doesn't want to talk about that. Hell no. No, no. They'd rather have us relitigating 2020 yeah. forever. Yeah. Forever. And 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 if Liz Cheney wants to do that, she's taking the bait that the media wants her to take. That's yeah. right. And That's and, and exactly no, it.
3: and there is no philosophical or ideal. All the things that you listed, there's no difference between Liz Cheney and anybody else, right? Right. The ideological differences, the direction of the party as they would lead you to believe, there is no difference on. And the a- question is a leadership politics question. Is it easier or harder to fight the Green New Deal, DC statehood, HR1, and all the nonsense and tax increases that they're talking about with somebody who's talking about 2020 or with somebody who's concerned about 22?
0: And, and so here's another thing. So uh, we have uh, the benefit of a lot of folks supplying us with overnight polling info about what's actually happening out there with some data let me tell you something about this whole situation outside of dc outside of journal twitter no one cares nobody no
1: one cares political class argument is nothing to do with the voters
0: no voter no american in any state and anywhere outside of like washington dc cares at all or has heard about this that shows that's like proof positive that this is an absolute creation of the journalists they want to get their clicks they want to say, oh, my gosh, Republican Civil War, because, hey, their ratings are down 50 percent. They got to get those like libs back on track and say, "Here, here's some catnip, you know, we well, just created
1: look, this. Look, I mean, like like obviously Donald Trump isn't blameless in that, too. He's providing content in that area as well. But here's what else Donald Trump is doing. Endorsing a candidate in the Texas Six Jungle primary to help Republicans lock out Democrats from the runoff. Yep. That's a good thing. That's looking forward. Be focused on looking forward. Yeah, anybody who's still talking
3: about 2020 now, on, from a leadership perspective, is fundamentally missing the boat. Yep, you're fundamentally missing the boat because the stuff that happened, however regrettable it might be, pales in comparison to the country that you will inherit two years from now if you don't do anything to stop what they're trying to do now.
0: It, it, it's kind of like that saying that like if you can't win the argument, change the subject. And that's exactly what the media did. They couldn't win the argument. They're like, holy shit, Republicans are are showing up like a tidal wave. Look at Texas. So they had to change the subject. They're like, "Uh, uh, Republican Civil War. There was no bill. There was no vote. There's nothing out there. This is completely BS pulled out of thin air. Right. Because journals just need a story and they're like, hey, let's let's throw this out there and see who bites.
1: I'm already leadership I'm already, can't <laughs> bite
0: on this. You can't you can't let the journals have what right. they want.
1: I'm already thinking of like the hypothetical CNN roundtable where, you know, Tapper leads into the segment saying, you know, Republican civil war undermining democracy and casting doubt on our elections. Mm, yep. Next on our panel is Stacey Abrams, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, yeah. it's, and it's important. It's important to point this out right that the the, the liberals in the media who are clamoring for this infighting don't have an ounce of credibility on the issue of defending None. our democracy not an ounce of credibility on preserving confidence in our elections. the whole point, hypocrites right the, the whole point of Russiagate for three years was to undermine confidence in the 2016 election
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know they they, right? they, they they say you know Trump's talking about 2020 or Liz Cheney's talking about 2020 in 2018 YouGov did a poll. That 67% of Democrats thought it 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 either was definitely true or probably true that Russia changed votes in 2016. That's yeah. insane. Did, did we have we didn't have a national debate about why congressional leaders were allowing that to happen in the Democratic Party? Chuck Schumer wasn't chased down hallways to hold some sort of vote, some sort of symbolic vote that Donald Trump's the legitimate president. You had Hillary Clinton in 2019 saying Donald Trump is an illegitimate president. Did anybody have to rebuke Hillary Clinton? Do we have a national discussion about whether Hillary Clinton crossed a line? No, of course. Absolute of, of attack course on not. democracy.
0: No one, no one, no one. It would they never are happen. absolute hypocrites on this subject. Here's another example: is, is, is think about what has the Biden administration done since Election Day? Are you seeing them go hard in the paint on like going after Putin and securing our elections? No, because they knew the whole Russia thing was a, was a farce. And then, like, like you just said, Duncan, is they'll bring Stacey Abrams on, who to this day has not conceded that election. Being no, like,
3: to, oh, the to the to contrary. To the contrary.
1: It was a litmus test in the Democratic primary election. In the 2020 Democratic presidential primary, they, got, they all got on stage and said, Stacey Abrams won the election in Georgia in 2018. And everybody in clapped. Sense. They yep. applauded. They applauded. She has yep. never conceded that election and no one cared. There were no panels on CNN about how this undermined, undermines democracy. No, no, no. This in, it shows you the media are absolute hypocrites. They
0: have no core beliefs. This entire situation doesn't even exist. It's a creation of the media. There was no vote. There's no issue. This is over. This is the media just saying, "Oh, uh, uh, Trump used to get us ratings, so let's uh, try to find a way to uh, cause Republicans to fight." Don't take leadership. The don't take the
3: bait. Don't take the bait, and that's and that's what's happening here. I want to be very, very clear. I look I, This may be unpopular to the minions and you know the fans of this podcast. I like Liz Cheney. I think Liz Cheney's smart. I think her family has done a world of good in conservative politics for a long time. I have great respect for everything that they've done. I think, I just simply think she's made a mistake. I think she had a real opportunity to vote her convictions and then move off of it and focus on the future and bring the party with her on on extremely uh, important issues, fighting back on the leftist agenda. And there was a lot of people who were listening to her because she was kind of a unifying force. She was people who weren't with Trump, who didn't like Trump, but ultimately were conservatives. Like that's an important wing of the party. Right. And and she uniquely spoke to them. But instead of focusing forward, she got caught in the media trap. The media trap is constantly asking her about Donald Trump and about impeachment and about November and everything else. And she just kind of got stuck in that and, and continued to answer the question. That is a mistake.
1: Right. I mean, oh, no, no, and, and, no to, and and to your point, Holmes, about, about getting the voters who maybe aren't hardcore f- fans of Donald Trump, how about the $6 trillion in spending that Biden's trying to do? How about packing the courts? How about eliminating the filibuster, D.C. statehood, the Green New Deal? We could talk about all of those things and get those voters. Why don't we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Dems are playing for keeps and
0: like that's what makes me so furious about the situation. Like uh you know, Liz Cheney, you should know so much better. You should know so much better. You were elected to be the voice of the people, you, you know, to to take the bait from the media like this is absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And
3: she they invented it. Like like her, her dad invented the throwing it back in the media's face. Right? Yeah. He was like the, the OG, oh, I'm not going to answer the question you want me to answer because you want me to answer it type thing. And, and I feel like she has all of those qualities within her, but I don't know how she has gotten to the point where she feels like she needs to play the media narrative yeah. in order to continue to explain herself. She needs to explain nothing. She won re-election to the House conference. After her impeachment vote, when they took it on a special election to do it, she had all the runway in the world to go forward. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like
0: she she had her vote. You know, do you? There, there's a great quote. You can either make a point or you can make a difference. And McConnell. why is she trying to make this point? That's not helping unite unite uh, the party that's not leadership
1: reporters reporters asked Mitch McConnell to weigh in on this situation what did he say he said I'm 100% focused on stopping this administration yeah period that's it. honestly
0: you know I'm taking a huge risk being critical because uh you got to think about Dick Cheney the man shoots his friends in the face with the shotgun what would he do to you <laughs> if you go after his family so like you know just to be clear Dick no beef I have no beef with you man
3: we are 100% cool Along those lines, like I want to make it perfectly clear. I support Liz Cheney. I support Liz Cheney's reelection. I know that's going to be unpopular amongst people. I don't think we need to be monolithic and pledge our our loyalty exclusively to anything. I think all these voices are extremely important. I just think she made a mistake here. Ultimately, I don't know what happens next week if they vote to remove her or not. But we just explained to you why that's happening. It is not a civil war. It is not a Trump referendum. It actually has nothing to do with the former president. It is a leadership under the dome issue. It is. That is being litigated and and totally misconstrued by the mainstream media. And
0: that's why, like I said, I mean, let's wrap it on that. This is an absolute creation of the media. That's why the polling shows no one cares or has even heard about this outside of D.C.
3: So. Let's turn the page on all that. I'm glad we did it, though. You know, I feel like every once in a while we got to take care of those topics because, you know, avoiding them is cowardly and clarity is important. We tell people 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 to not take the
1: bait. We tell people to not take the bait and then they take the bait. (laughs) So We don't have a choice. You know? you don't have a choice. You got to
3: do it. So anyway, that's our role here at the Variety Program. We sing, we dance, we entertain, and we occasionally take on the tough topics. And that's
0: why the people love us. And (laughs) this, speaking of of love, could there be anything that liberals love more than being locked down
3: forever? Oh. Oh, it is incredible. So there is an amazing piece that was written this week in all places, The Atlantic. Uh, Emma Green, who I don't know personally, but writes for The Atlantic, wrote a piece entitled The Liberals Who Can't Quit the Lockdown. The subtitle is Progressive Communities Have Been Home to Some of the Fiercest Battles Over COVID-19 Policies, and Some Liberal Policymakers Have Left Scientific Evidence Behind. Yes, yes yes, we've told you a million times, yes.
0: Yeah, I, I, I have to say, and I, I said this when, when uh, Emma put the story up. I don't know her personally. I saw her tweet this. I, I smashed that follow button. And as I predicted, so like as soon as I saw the story, I was like, okay, number one, it's incredible. You actually wrote this. Number two, I do not envy your replies. I mean, she got nuked to hell. Oh, I'm so sure. All the replies were like, hey, listen, uh I know we need to trust the science, but- uh even though I'm vaccinated, I'm still going to wear a mask outside, even though the CDC says I don't need to because uh, – exactly. I saw so many replies who were like, I wear a mask outside so people won't think I'm a Republican. That's what this is about. <laughs> this has <laughs> nothing to do about trust the science or trust the experts. Like, number one, the whole trust the science thing bugged me so much. So much. It's like, uh, uh, oh, yes, uh, science in its nature is an ever-evolving, you know – set of facts that get tested against it and to turn it into this dogmatic thing like the science says mask always is the antithesis of science and for them to say oh listen even though the cdc said this uh i'm gonna wear a mask outside it's a hundred percent just like putting on a jersey and and being like i don't i I want to be a virtuous lib i want everyone to like me because i feel like 90 percent of liberals are just people who are who are too cowardly to have their own set of beliefs and just want to be liked. It's like the whole wine mom mentality. I don't want to start fights at book club. So uh, I'm just going to agree with whatever you well, say.
1: Well, so, so, you know, I mean, we talked about this in the last episode and, and you want to have a little bit of compassion for some people. I mean, we, we were all in lockdown, you know, for a long time I and mean, gosh, it's been more than a year now since, since COVID started. And obviously people are working through a lot of stuff here, like deep, you know, Fears, your serious mental health, things. serious, and, and, and honestly, I think it's going to take years for us to really reckon with that as, totally. as a society, 100. But here's the thing: it's insane. What what what, <laughs> what what is laid out in this article is not just anti-science; it's it's anti-children, it's anti-rational common sense. It, it, it to indulge these people wanting to live this way forever is damaging to them it's absolutely damaging to them and i mean like frankly it's kind of fantastic right now my commute's 18 minutes
0: you know i love this so when we were having beers the other night duncan had the best take where he was like honestly think about what's happening here the libs just want to shut themselves in from society forever
1: right door to door in 18 minutes there's no line at subway it's it hit me. of me nice. i was
0: like holy moly this is like
1: you know that's
0: why i had such a great time when i'm outside it's just like <laughs> a free society like I, I, I i've gotten my i've gotten my shots i'm out there everyone's everyone's in a great mood it's like holy moly it, it, this is just like nothing but conservatives on the street like life the life lives are in bed. their
3: bunkers yeah life Super without fun. Lives. Super fun until election day when Stacey Abrams goes and rounds up all their votes. Oh yeah, oh and yeah, and uh, and then ruins your day. And I mean, of- I
0: bet that's why they need ballot harvesting because like the libs are just like, I think a certain part of them, like uh, their brain gets it's weird. Their brain gets like a a serotonin hit, not like a you know from from having a family or going to church or any of these like productive things. Just doom, doom and fear. Right. Like, oh, my God. There's a there's a variant and uh, uh, it's going to kill me even though I've been immunized and I should probably wear a mask while I'm in the shower. It's unbelievable. And it's it, completely it, anti-science.
3: It's as if for the first time people have been educated to the dangers of the world around them. Like up until March 2020, viruses didn't exist. Right. Yeah, that yeah. that illness didn't exist. That risk didn't exist, right? Like they are far far more likely in, if you're immunized to walk out your front door and get hit by a freaking car than you are to die of covid. Yet these people are double masking it indoors. I mean, that's the and like I want to bring this up. So,
0: the uh D, uh Washington examiner ha- had this great piece which just blew my mind saying that Oregon has made its covid-19 rules for businesses Permanent.
1: Oh my God.
0: Permanent. The order, which requires masks indoor for both employees and customers, and outdoors in certain situations, will only be repealed when it's quote no longer needed. And when
3: is that? Like, what? Who determines that? It's
0: not the science. Nope. Because the CDC has already said, straight up, if you're immunized, you go outside, you don't need to wear a mask it's a it's become a very strange thing where they where they cling to it because of this like strange partisan thing that if i wear a mask it means i'm good which i'm telling you is like the crux of all liberal politics is trying to make other people think you're good like something's missing there that they have yeah, to it's make up for like
3: a reinforcement you yeah. have to you have to sort of believe that you're working on helping other people believe
1: how great you are yeah yeah the problem with that is and 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 smug i remember you 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 showed me this this video of the you know the the track and field athlete this girl passing out at the finish line because she was wearing a mask oh you know and it's like how can you think that you're the good person when you're subjecting children to that you know it's just this social pressure from these liberal communities. Like, I don't know how we undo it, but like last week we're like, yeah, maybe we'll move over to the chin diaper in DC, you know, so we don't freak out the libs, but I mean, I think it's just time to take it off. No, I already moved off of it, to be honest
3: with you. And we got some awesome, we got some awesome listener mail on that. It was like, (laughs) take it off you peas. (laughs) That's great. Which, you know, look, I, I'm, (sighs) i am look, I've been pretty thoughtful about this stuff, right? I'm not, I've not been a COVID denier. I've not been, you know, a a always masker. I've tried to balance the fact that I've got a young family and kids who are not immunized and we don't understand what, what exactly happens when kids get COVID. If there's long-term things, I don't know all that stuff. And it kind of makes me nervous, but at some level we've now entered the point where we've, we can, we've done everything we can. Right. Mm -hmm. and, but we're, we're a society and we have obligations to ourselves, to our families, to our friends, to our neighborhoods, to our communities, to our states, to our country to get out and to begin living life again. And particularly when you look at objective stats that show that our likelihood of being mortally impacted by COVID is less than tuberculosis for crying out loud. At this point, you got to make moves. And it, it, and these people, like I look at in that Atlantic article, there was this town of Brookline, Massachusetts, which apparently is like the, you know, top five educated places in, in the entire planet. They took a look at the science and the CDC recommendations and they just rejected it. Yeah. Flat out rejected it. They said that they are going to make people wear masks outside, that they're they're not taking any of the restrictions off like these are supposedly smart people. It's not, they're not smart. What they are is ideological. And somehow along the way, elitism in this country has, has given way whatever intellectual advantage they had to just straight partisanship.
1: It's so funny. It's so funny. You say that Holmes. Cause you remember when when Texas removed its mask mandate, Biden was like, you know, that's Neanderthal thinking. And then now, like, you know, six weeks later, two months later, uh, all the cases are down, 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 down in You're Texas. Right. That's the thing. Right. So I, I think it,
0: a, a couple of things. So Holmes brought up a great point. If nothing else, I want folks to know we live in a society. <laughs> Number one. But number two, the, the, a major problem has been the, with the trust, the experts. And a prime example of this has been Anthony Fauci, who, he number one, he has to be the sharpest operator in DC to still have his job and but his book deal. He's going to make more money than, I mean, than presidents. Yeah. yeah. Like it's going to be insane. The advance he gets on his book deal. But he recently said he wouldn't travel or eat at restaurants, even though he's fully vaccinated. Despite this is in complete opposition to CDC guidance that these activities can be safe for vaccinated people who take precautions. That's completely insane. And that's at the heart of the problem. It's
3: dangerous. It's it dangerous. It's exactly. It. it. It's smug. It's preying on the emotions of people too, because I, I, I like, Look, at the risk of revealing too much here. I mean, look, my family and the way that we've approached all this thing, like we had a baby during COVID, right? When there were no answers about what's going to happen. And we were terrified about what impact we would have if we brought COVID into our house with an infant, you know? And so we were really cautious. We were really serious about it and overly so. In retrospect, I mean, way more cautious than we probably needed to be. But all of that residual concern still lasts and still lasts with millions of families like ours that look around and they're like, I don't know, man. I mean, there's an open question. Nobody's giving me good answers. I'm seeing, hearing that the CDC doesn't, I don't need to wear a mask outside, but then I watch Joe Biden double mask it, you know, and it's not that it's just the partisans, right? We make mm-hmm. fun of the partisans because they should be made fun of because they're idiots, and they, they have an ideological goal to keep us locked in our homes. But there's a whole bunch of people in the middle of this country that aren't listening to Ruthless Podcast, right? They're not listening to the, the Variety program. They're listening to Anthony Fauci. And what they're hearing is a ton of uncertainty about whether they continue their lives. And it's very difficult. We'll never make any success here by shaming them into... Moving out of that, like we got to figure out a better way to get these people reintegrated into society, or else we literally are going to have people with are shut ins.
1: And so, I do think Doug, you brought Doug up Doug this and Kamala.
3: Way. Did you, you see the Doug and Kamala? You, thing? Oh my they
0: God. kissed with their masks on, it's they so kissed with weird. their masks on. So weird.
3: So, what weird. a perfect example of what I'm talking about, right?
1: Who While outdoors and they're both vaccinated, that is so weird. I mean, the example from our political leaders right now is not engendering confidence in getting back to normal.
0: And I love how Holmes brought this up that like, you know, the media is trying to portray this as some kind of like a partisan thing of, of signaling, but it is actually dangerous. Like there's this uh, statistic that, uh, you know, 3 million, that's the estimate of how many children have dropped out of school as a result of the pandemic. My God. Think about that. 3 million? million. Three million that's
2: not a, getting, oh,
0: man. Uh, uh, you know like duncan said is we're gonna see like echoes of all of this for for a long time and and not just that and this is the other thing this tells you so much about like especially the woke bs that the left has they don't care about anyone uh uh, uh, uh i i got the statistic a disproportionate number of those disengaged students are lower income black latino and native american yeah, children we've been who struggled this. to keep up in classrooms that are partly or fully remote that's who suffers we've been and saying this that's who suffers like all these libs like if you think about where their thought center where their leadership where their ideas come from they're coming from New York and DC. They're coming from 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 these journalists in Brooklyn who have their Ivy League degrees and trust funds. And, and to them, lockdown means, oh, you know, we gotta have a Zoom call. Ha ha. I gotta wear sweatpants. It's been a while since I haven't worn
3: sweatpants. It's, it's like a, like book, a fun little adventure. Movies. My book release party is gonna be on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They think it's
0: all fun and games. The thing that is uh, such a like, I, I saw this great statistic where it's uh, fewer than thirty percent of people over the past year have been able to work from home. So all the stories you see about how like oh everybody's on Zoom, the people writing those articles are 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 lucky enough to have a job that they can work from Zoom and the because they do that because the people who can read those articles during the day are not people who who, who are are out there on the front lines dealing with this the, the delivery people the people in grocery stores no
3: those are all people they cannot they, relate they've they completely relate to- lost touch i know they i mean that and that's and that's the thing and that's a sad place of of where we're at. I mean, look, I'm, I'm all for making fun of the libs and, and to Duncan's point, I'm, I'm all for making fun of people who are gonna stay indoors and frankly, make my commute uh, in a heck of a lot easier. But ultimately like, look, whatever we thought, whatever you thought about Trump and his position of being seen in a mask. Remember that it was a big deal last mm-hmm. spring. Like mm-hmm. he, he won't be seen in a mask and it sends a terrible uh, message to the country, right? It's a dangerous message to the country. The inverse is equally true, correct? When you are watching Kamala Harris kiss her freaking husband through a mask outdoors by themselves, that is also equally harmful. Psychotic. It's psychotic. It's insane. It, it is pushing this country further and further away from being able to come back together. And and both things can be true. Both things can be true. Mm-hmm. This is not an ideological battle. You can say, hey, look, when we didn't know what this, what this virus was going to do, it was probably worthwhile to put them on a mask and take all precautions because, you know, we didn't know. We didn't know. Now we do know. And now we do have CDC guidance and yet they still are not following it. That is dangerous. Anyway, it got me fired up.
0: Yeah, I like, you know what? I also, I I would like to have, whether it's us having beers or on the show, I want your perspective as someone who who just had a child and this like hell plague shows up because I know for a fact you've been extremely cautious. I mean, anyone who just had, you know, just had a baby. And, and and this hell plague with with no experience like no one knew what to do yeah compared to me where you know i don't know by the grace of god i don't have any kids so i can just like we're gonna roll the dice folks i'm getting on planes <laughs> i would yeah, love no, to have I mean, that all discussion. my buddies
3: all my buddies who i grew up with like they just kind of powered through it and they just continued their lives and you know a couple of people got covid and for the most part uh everybody was fine but you know, because they were of the age and they knew they made the choice that they were in a population that they weren't actually going to affect their parents or grandparents and yeah. you know, people in a, in a terrible position, which is probably the right thing in retrospect. But I, I'll tell you, like, now, lib guidance here
0: could ruin our country. That's the thing is like, uh, as soon as the outbreak started, I, I flew down to my grandfather, you know, for I didn't know what was going on. I wanted to be there uh, to to like lysol every package that arrived at his home, make sure he was safe. He's got both of his shots. Thank God. we got the vaccine. thanks That's to great. President Trump, Operation Warp Speed. I can't wait to go hang out. I've got that already scheduled. Folks, life continues, and it's just so weird how the liberals, you know, cling cling to this fear porn.
3: No kidding. Well, speaking of fear porn. And Stacey Abrams, frankly, she's been a hot topic. I didn't expect this to be a Stacey Abrams three-time mentioned program, but <laughs> I feel like I feel like she deserves it. There was a new poll that came out. Oh yeah, yeah, in Georgia, and a majority of Georgia voters said that uh, MLB is struck out. Boom. the all-Star game from Atlanta in pro- the election law. You love to see it.
0: Wow, who uh, could call this other than us?
3: Great work. <laughs> great work, MLB. Yeah, yep. and and so it turns out like if you look through all of this stuff, it turned the majority of of people think that pulling the all-Star game is ridiculous, which it was. It, 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 more people believe that the voting rights law that was passed was helpful. Then don't right. So it's not even it's not even about whether or not you thought the reaction was bad. Like they actually just like the law, <laughs> right. And this is this is the ultimate swing state that we're talking about. These they, these ruined the Democratic comeback in Georgia. Huge with the moments. Huge
0: mistake. Getting, getting it. Huge yeah. mistake. I, I always have to go back to the hilarious point that like some of these CEOs, like there were ninety CEOs on this Zoom call. Some of them were like at the masters had to zoom in Dude. from Augusta. Like, uh, yeah, Oh, about, actually, about boycotting Georgia. Yeah. We yeah. should absolutely boycott Georgia. It's like, yeah. uh, meanwhile, I'm at Augusta, but like, I think everyone, uh, you know, I, I felt like they would, but it seems like everyone saw through it. And like the, 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 the crazy thing is like, especially post COVID, all these businesses in the Atlanta area were counting on a bump and like, for them to be like, oh no, uh, we're we're actually going to just deprive you of business. Stacy Abrams thinks it's a good idea if we boycott you, and then USA Today like stealth edits her, her op ed oh, oh yeah they to get her they, off the hook.
1: Stealth, just for our listeners here, they stealth edited her op-ed to provide more distance between her comments and supporting of supporting boycotts like yeah, that you know? was a
0: huge sign they yeah. must have seen some overnight polling and they're like right. holy shit like yeah. we gotta
3: get we we gotta get distance from this well and 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 Raphael Warnock the newly elected radical liberal uh Raphael Warnock from from Georgia he he went from straight boycott to like oh no no boycott you know yeah, like within yeah, a blink yeah. Of an eye. yeah
1: I mean they got the poll numbers and they're like oh no right they, and this they- is they this is we jim, jim crow they called the jim crow 2.0 biden did and and stacy abrams did and and all these people are now going to distance distance themselves from it and say oh gosh we didn't mean actually boycott and it's like well you called it jim crow
0: i mean they did right? they did worse it's worse than jim crow folks it's, it was jim eagle which only makes yeah, sense severe, if you if you if have a biden. severe case of dementia <laughs> but i love they saw the poll numbers and they're like holy moly what yeah. have we done and you know what what they've done is, is they've opened themselves up to get punished because they need to reap what they've sown. All those businesses listen it folks if you're ever in Atlanta, there are so many great businesses get get the lemon pepper wet wings at Jar crickets they will change your life. Oh, I love that they I, that. I mean Atlanta is a wonderful city which is why you know it especially broke my heart to see uh all, all these this like woke mob push everyone away from that city who, especially after COVID, the way the restaurants have suffered to to do everything they can to hurt these small businesses. Well, now you see the results folks.
3: Totally. Totally. Now you see the results. I think the last piece of that, of that poll that was particularly interesting is that 60% of Georgians opposed companies using their public role to shape political opinion or promote, promote cultural change. That includes 55% of independents, which means CEOs are in a really rough place. I think if it's this case in Georgia, it's probably everywhere. We're going to have some news on that in the next few weeks. I know of a couple of like significant efforts that are being taken underway that um, are are geared to pushing back on woke corporate America. Thank God. We're going to give you some updates on that. We're going to have some important people on to talk about it. We also have like two or three other things that we're not going to be able to get to today that I would love to talk about. One is Foley, Foley deserves a, a Pulitzer.
0: Yeah. Remember that folks, we'll get into that. There's, there's a lot of news on that front.
3: He he deserves a Pulitzer for his coverage of Jennifer Cranholm and uh, energy situation. We won't get into it, but it's, it's, we're, we're going to have guests about it because yeah, it's, that big it's major. Yeah. So, you know, good for Foldy. God, he's multitasking. Right. You know, the other thing is the New Orleans zoo <laughs> it canceled a six-day pro-police promotion claiming community members were concerned that the event could be unintentionally divisive. It was basically just like a thank, back the blue, thanks for police doing your job.
0: I mean, that's another example, just like we've been telling you, is is stop listening to the DC journo circle. No one cares. No one cares outside of them. No one
3: cares. No, just because you get an inquiry from the times pecune in new Orleans does not mean that the community is in an uproar it means that the five people who are paid to be agitators yep. were like you know anyway I I should let me just curb it in that I've got I don't want I could speak for a long time about that
0: <laughs> you know what I, you know what I want to get into directly I, I already hyped it folks this interview with JD is incredible
1: yeah, I but, got a chance to dude, listen.
0: I, I got a chance to listen. We got to play listen.
1: King of the Hill.
3: Oh, that's right.
0: That's right. That's the candy we're giving the folks.
3: We got to play King of the Hill, and then we got to get to J.D. I mean, this is just an action. We told, we warned you up top. Right.
0: We did switch switcheroo, candy for candy.
3: Yeah, candy for candy. So let's get to King of the Hill. I've got Max Booth. The guy is just, look, he put on a a, a Wonderkin-type performance last time out. I think he's going to be tough to beat.
0: And and folks may remember, I I by a very slim margin. I, I I was defeated last week, but but this week I think I think I'm bringing some real fire. I, I'm predicting I'm predicting a win. Who'd you choose, ladies and gentlemen? We have none other than the expert of experts, Radio Free Tom, Tom oh. Nichols. His brand new. This is yeah.
3: His first uh, first
0: appearance on the show. So for uh, folks who don't know, King of the Hill essentially is uh, me and Holmes select a a a brainworm, absolutely uh, lost previous conservative. Previous in, incorrect. Yeah, uh, quote conservative, who's lost their mind, dropping takes on Twitter, and. Uh, Michael Duncan is the judge and jury. I'm, judge
1: and jury. I'm exactly. judge and jury. Exactly. And there's three rounds. They go tweet for tweet. The defending champion, that being Holmes, has to go first in the first round and first in the third round. Um, and it's, you know, best out of three. You go tweet for tweet, and I decide as judge and jury of who wins each round. I'm so excited. it's, it's the first Tom Nichols it's so good. appearance and man
0: (laughs) he had some takes folks it's
1: so good let's go ahead and go ringside ladies
0: and gentlemen your
1: attention please it's time for king of the hill
0: and now in the red corner
2: Hiding out of the Harvard Extension campus Standing high feet 11
1: inches
2: tall
0: Tom Radio Free
1: Nichols In the blue corner Hiding from under a crooked fedora
2: Standing high, feet 11 and three quarters of an inch, and reigning heavyweight champion
0: of the world, maximum permanent
3: deployment,
2: boot.
3: Okay. Okay, Ooh. that's a... I mean, I, I can never get over the, the intro. The ringside introduction is just... It's just another level,
0: right? right?
1: It just it adds a touch of class to the yeah. whole program.
3: It does.
0: really does. Shout out Ashbrook. Behind yeah. the scenes, getting it done.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So um I got to start here and I'm going to make a strategic move because I, I'm looking at this week and I, you know, look, I'm not a, a max boot Twitter connoisseur, but I, I've seen how crazy it can be! And now, two weeks in a row, I've had to sort of curate his tweets. I'll say this week there was more than I could choose from. I had to whittle down. I had to do it strategically. There are arguably more brainworm tapes than I've actually picked, but I'm selecting. <laughs> as you learned from last week's show, I'm selecting based on my understanding of of the judge and the jury. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of strategy involved. Yeah, so. I think I've got one put away. I got a couple that are really, really good. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to start here. Max Boot. Nice to have a president again who tries to promote racial healing rather than exacerbating the racial divide for political gain. Hmm. I got this. And that's just on the fricking nose, right? It's like the full on opposite of reality. And he just took it.
0: So I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to take this firsthand folks. I think this, this tweet from Tom Nichols is the epitome of, of the never Trump movement. The tweet is yes. The prizes are taxable according to their value. I declined a golf trip because I couldn't afford the taxes on it.
1: What? He really put that out there. Hold on. Was this in response to something?
0: It was his own tweet. He responds to himself. He tells on himself. He's like, "Listen, folks, I'm an honest man. I was offered, <laughs> I was offered a golf trip as the uh, every man."
3: Was it, is the context to him defending high taxes?
0: I think the context was him being like, you know what? I, I have, I have no thinking. I'm just someone who's paid to take golf trips, completely exposed his
3: role in the machine. Well, that is what they do. I'd like to think, that claiming what's happened over the last three months has been racial harmony is a, shall we say, uh, removed
1: from reality perspective. So uh, yeah, as judge and jury, I'll provide a little bit of commentary here. So number one on, on Holmes, Holmes tweet from boot. Yeah, it's absurd. It's absurd, right? You know, after the, the Derek Chauvin verdict and there was that, uh, the video of, you know, the one girl trying to stab the other girl um, and the officer fired and, and basically saved the other girl's life. The White House, you know, cast doubt on the police actions. It didn't feel like they were really promoting racial harmony during that.
3: Right. You know, I I'll, I'll be honest, like funding critical race theory doesn't feel like that either.
1: Doesn't really, does it?
3: Doesn't feel like
1: it. Does it? yeah um smug i mean i feel like smug really knew to pick this though it's because because this is like this is sort of the 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 sort of quality of tweet that really upsets me the most is that
0: these are the people who are
1: supposed to be our moral betters the people who are going to lead the republican party and the conservative movement out of the wilderness is the guy who says you know i I couldn't take the golf trip because you know the, I couldn't figure out the tax write-off or whatever.
0: Yeah. A year of a pandemic, and and his concern is: listen, folks, you've got to pay taxes on the golf trip.
3: <laughs> Depending <laughs> upon your outcome, I I want an addendum uh, to this because I have something to add to that tweet.
1: Oh, this is an appeal.
3: No, 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 no. I I, I will sat. I'll be satisfied by whatever your answer is. I I just want to comment on what I think that all means in that tweet, but I don't want to sway the judge of the jury.
1: Um I got to go smoke.
3: Okay. Yes. All right.
1: Round you know, 1. I think
3: that's I think it's fair. Here's why I think it's fair. Not because of of what was presented here. I think it's fair because any person who talks about the tax implications of a golf trip, yep, is somebody who has cheated the fuck out of their taxes. Yeah. Allegedly. allegedly. Without information. Many people saying. On, on, on a lot of other things, right? Because if you've thought about that, if you thought about the tax implications yeah. of, first of all, it's got to be unbelievably expensive because he, like-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love how
3: it, it, it is
0: so just emblematic of NeverTrump. They're like, we will sell our soul to the devil, but I got to figure out if that's tax deductible. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, oh do you think about someone's like hey do you want to go to pebble beach yeah like yeah. let me calculate the tax implications yeah, get a write-off so, on
1: that one so, so it, it, the implication is that this 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 golf trip was somehow a business expense for him or yeah, what? well, if it's a gift right
3: so if somebody right. gives, if somebody gives you something of substantial value you're obligated to pay a tax on it right but there's two things that are true about that. One, you're so attuned to your itemizing that that makes a difference, right. right? Because most people, either you pay quarterly or you pay annually. And whatever you pay, you you get a refund because you overpay your taxes. Yeah. by. Significant- I, it,
0: right. This is not tax advice, ladies and gentlemen. You should consult your tax advisor oh, yeah, and accountant. But I think it's about $600 above that gifts are taxable you know, consult your tax advisors. We're right up, we're right up to tax season.
1: I'm loving just, the disclaimers in this, in this podcast. It's it so just,
0: good. when I, when I saw this tweet, it just like threw me, I could yeah. not handle myself that the guy is just like, hold up folks. It has to be like uh, a $30,000 trip. Yeah. It's gotta be an insane <laughs> trip. Let's just say it to be like whole, like I, I like to not pay the taxes on a trip because like it, it was such a large fee. It must have been like, wow, you know, we're gonna have like woolly mammoths as your caddy. Like it must have been some wild extravagant shit that he's like, I can't handle
3: the tax implications. Like Mickelson hits your chip shots. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's gotta be you're, like out there. So Mickelson would never <laughs> <like> that, <laughs> All right. Let's go.
0: Bring round two. two.
1: Smug, you gotta go first, round two.
0: All right, let's see. I, I love this tweet so much for controversial reasons. Tom Nichols tweeted, glad to see that even with vaccines, people for now are still wearing a mask to the gym, except for that one muscled up guy in every gym who doesn't wear a mask and glares at everyone, daring them to notice, which I think is a side effect of Neutrogenic's overdose.
1: I love the insecurity of his tweet.
0: It's so wild.
1: Dude. Well, if you know, you know, right? Thanks. So. Can I get into that? I, I mean, I don't know. Oh, to no, be
0: you too mean or out of pocket, but man.
1: i have already walked up, up the line. Holmes, you better bring some heat here. I know I'm going to readjust, um,
3: but I've got to put away. It's simply not even fair. The American right, which was effectively allied with the Kremlin in 2016 and 2020, has so successfully internalized the secret of Russian disinformation operations, the willingness to simply make things up, that it no longer requires much help from Putin. <laughs> Jack, we just call it. That's a
1: walk. That that was gonna be my walk-off. <laughs> so tough, dude. You know, you know the judge and jury. You <laughs> know how so much tough. this upsets me. You know how much this upsets me. <laughs> That's a <Gosh>. walk-off. <laughs> I, I just like I just like I got to point out because we did we did the earlier segment about, you know, Cheney and undermining elections and how much the media, you know, basically did the exact same thing, undermining the 2016 election with Gate. Everyone forgets there was, you know, there was a Bernie Sanders supporter who said that the Republicans are traitors and Donald Trump's more Russian than American. And then he tried to murder a bunch of Republicans on a baseball diamond. That's right. Right. Do the Democrats change their behavior at all? Do we have a national conversation about how calling Trump Putin's puppet or calling the you know Senate Majority Leader Moscow Mitch might have been a touch too far? No, we didn't. Nope. No. Now the conversation is it's internalized. It's internalized. We didn't find collusion. We didn't find conspiracy. But now it's it is it is uh, it's 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 collusion just by the fact that the Republican Party doesn't agree with my position. It's already collusion. They did Putin's work. It's it's fucking absurd. And I'm sorry. I know we're trying to cuss less here on the podcast, but it it is just so entirely morally bankrupt. And of course, it comes from a guy like Max Boot. (laughs) I love I got I got an act. Dude, this isn't a bit. I am like actually physically worked up.
3: I knew it. See, this is why walk. If if I would have my goal was to try to have this as the put away. I had That's- to go
0: wild. I had to go wild. I had to drop this. Like Tom Nichols, why would you tweet this? It's He's mad at the guy in the gym with the muscles. Like smug, you can't. You I, can't can. I, I can't say it. I can't say folks, but man, you know what Nichols is trying to say. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Holmes wins round two.
3: Uh, you, you, you gave that to him? Wow. All I'm
0: right. giving it
1: a put, to him.
3: It's a, it's a put away. It's a put away. It's a put away. All right, so here we go. Max Boop, this is the another just exceptional hot take. Many conservatives think as an exceptional nation, we have nothing to learn from any other country. But that is hubris speaking. The coronavirus pandemic should have shattered those illusions and not even our rapid vaccinations can undo it. Oh, I got this. So wait, but hold on, let me. (laughs) It's one, it's challenging. Uh, This is part of an entire column that he ended up writing on the subject that is basically like America's not great. That it's just like sort of an average, mediocre as he calls it, country, right? But this this particular take is what irked me in that it is because of coronavirus that we should be aware of our shortcomings, right? A country of free commerce, of, of freedom of expression, of free, we move around, we can't be soldered into our homes like China, like No, if you get soldered into your homes, you're going to have a really good uh, rate at keeping the infections down. We happen to have the lowest death rate of many, many industrialized nations. But that's that's the example of us being second best. Incredible.
1: These are the same. These are the same people clamoring for us to start exporting all of the vaccines that our companies produced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how that works. The communists really hate capitalism until we produce all these vaccines the rest of the world need.
3: But but but, that, but it's my favorite part. That notwithstanding.
1: Yeah, right. No, that's just, that's an asterisk on the entire, <laughs> you know, global pandemic, us having all these vaccines. People who effing cured it. No, 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 but that's just, okay. It is what it is.
0: All right, so this, I got uh, Tom Nichols, the expert. Trolls are different, but we can make watching Tucker Carlson about as socially acceptable as smoking in the ICU if we're really determined about it. And we do it with a lot of seriousness and mockery combined. Imagine a boomer trying to understand how anything works. This is such a boomer take. It's
1: so urgent. It's so He's so earnest. About. He
0: is. It's just like, wow. <laughs> wow. This is why you get cyber bullied. Boomer. Polls <laughs> <Toes> are different. <laughs> well, we can make watching Tucker Carlson about as socially acceptable as smoking in the ICU. <laughs> Imagine being in that brain.
3: <laughs> just incredible.
1: Yeah. What, what I love about it is, um, it is. It is really. He's really genuine ab- ab- about the take, like <laughs> that they can do it if they pull together. But like the the, the philosophy undergirding it is like absolutely like petty tyrant stuff, <laughs>
0: yeah. right?
1: It's, like we have to stop somebody else's First Amendment rights, uh, and you know it is. <laughs> That's like, the beauty I love of it. like this lib
0: uh, boomer sincerity. Is, is they're like, hey, here's the thing: is we got just like trample on the Constitution.
3: Yeah, but I think this is gonna work, guys. Yeah,
0: <laughs> a mix of
1: we need seriousness and mockery combined. Sticks and stones can't break our bones, but we will pull your FCC license. Yeah,
0: that's what. <laughs> 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 I can't. I can't believe this guy's not been on the show until now. He's a gold. He's
3: so
1: good.
0: His brain is so broken.
1: Gosh, what's the what's the ruling? I mean, you know, when we have this, oftentimes when we play this game, we come down to the end and it's very divergent takes two weeks in a yep. row. This is yep. been barber. Yep. Gosh.
3: Hmm. COVID showed that America is not exceptional.
1: Okay. Well, so if that's your closing statement, smug, you get another, you get a closing statement here. I don't want to be accused of putting a thumb on the scale.
0: Uh we can make watching Tucker Carlson about as socially acceptable <laughs> as smoking in he the ICU if we're really be. determined about it.
1: Smug be. wins, smug wins, smug wins. <laughs> smug wins. <laughs> smug wins. I love that he went right back to the well. I would have done the same thing. It's, right. it's insane. Well played. Insane. Like on uh, like on, on on actual like philosophy and intent. You know, I mean, Boot boot would take that. But when you add this sort of genuine sincerity and the cringe, yeah. <laughs> I got to go with smug. Yeah,
0: Only a understand. boomer could be that into
3: it. Like, just like, what? You're seeing this trend play out with this particular judge and jury where there is a... There's a <laughs> when there is misplaced authenticity...
0: Yep, it's huge. It's a huge.
1: big big component
0: there's a metagame to this
1: there are rules i feel like there are rules to the internet that adults they enter into a social contract (laughs) when they start they start tweeting when you're just getting new to it yeah i mean maybe you're going to make some mistakes but you include retweet if you agree (laughs) or you do something like (laughs) you're violating some unspoken rules of social media that shit take that shit to facebook you know (laughs) like you can't have that on twitter (laughs) <laughs> land of the wolves. We it is. Can't
3: have it. Twitter yes, in the a land of
0: wolves. You, you you have to be ready for war. Go to a you're small the wrong town. Place.
1: Go go to the small a small town on Facebook where the rule of law still exists. <laughs> yeah. This is the land of wolves. Welcome to Twitter. <laughs> Vietnam. What a what a
0: what a fine face off, Tom Nichols. Uh, Thank you so much champion. for
3: the Boomer takes. A new champion is crowned.
0: Uh, and his first weekend it. And now, I guess, finally, I I, I have already attempted to seg to it before because I'm so excited about this interview. Folks, we got J.D. Vance, the man everyone wants to hear from, uh, the man who I am excited to hear from. And I already know this is going to be a great interview.
3: Let's go right to it. I want to welcome to the program a esteemed author and a conservative thought leader, J.D. Vance. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Good to chat with you. Listen, man, you're everywhere. You've been everywhere since you uh, wrote Hillbilly Elegy, um, critically acclaimed, bestseller, everything you can sort of attach an award to, and then ultimately they made a movie out of that. That had to have been a hell of a experience.
2: Yeah, pretty, pretty crazy experience to have a movie made about your life. And I'd say the weirdest part about it for me was seeing Glenn Close portraying my grandmother because, <laughs> you know, she really tried hard to get it right. And the makeup people tried hard to get it right. If you actually watch the movie and you wait until the end credits, you get to see my grandmother and what she really looked like. And Glenn really did just look just like her. My grandma's been dead for 15 years. She was this larger than life figure. We all just adored her, but to see her in the flesh, even though it wasn't really her, was just such a bizarre experience. And the first time it happened, we were on set in Georgia and it turned into like a bit of a family reunion. My uncle was there, my mom, my my aunt, uh, my cousin, Rachel, um, you know, my, my, my wife and my two kids, or I guess only had one kid at that point. And when, we all saw glenn it was just this crazy moment where nobody could actually speak and my aunt and my mom were tearing up a little bit even my uncle who's not an emotional guy just got very emotional over seeing their mom who had been dead for 15 years in the flesh and you know there are all these weird little things that i didn't appreciate about how an actor or actress could bring a, a character right. to life, but you know the way my grandma held her cigarette, the way that her face would twitch when she got annoyed—all of these things were recreated. She nailed all um, that. I, she, she nailed all that, and she really just did an amazing job. And that was definitely the coolest part of it. The whole experience—the coolest part was seeing Glenn Close recreate my grandmother. Uh, and we just, you know, we we just will we'll have have that memory and have those experiences for a lifetime. And that's that's the coolest part about it.
3: Man, that is so cool, and that's what's so amazing is that she could recreate it. I, I don't, I don't know about your family. It didn't seem like the kind of family that had a camcorder running at all times. But uh, no, no, there, there.
2: You know, there were a couple. You know, my my aunt and uncle, sort of later in my grandma's life, there were a couple of you know, they they were maybe ten or fifteen second scenes of my grandmother where you could see her, and but what really, what they really did is they interviewed all the members of the family and I, you know, at the time I thought these are weird questions to be asking. You know, they're asking about like what, what is her voice like? What would she say if she was really angry? What would she, you know, like when when would she raise her voice? When would she lower her voice? Uh, how would she hold her cigarette? They, they were asking all these questions and trying to create a mental image from a woman that you know we had some photos and you know maybe a few video clips, but we really didn't have obviously this exhaustive video library of my grandmother. To your point. Uh, but they were able to really take those interviews and turn it into something that, you know, wasn't a hundred percent match, but for MAMO at least was like 99% and it was pretty cool.
3: That's amazing. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I found you so fascinating from the beginning of your emergence is the the mainstream media and sort of punditry class had no idea what to make of a rise of a populist movement on the center right, right? And yep. they've treated Republicans writ large as somewhat of like a foreign exchange student basically for, <laughs> for decades, right? And they were desperately searching for some way to explain all the, how could somebody vote for Donald Trump? And in some ways they picked up your book in the same way that they picked up Michael Lewis's book about the uh, the TARP situation back yep. in LA. And they're like, okay, well, here's the manual. Yep. Right? And, and I got to imagine you were pretty conflicted about that because you're like, no, 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 you, you actually really don't get it.
2: Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, first of all, it's so weird to, as a person be appointed by the media as this like spokesperson for right. the region that you came from. Right. It's just such a bizarre thing. And I, I had such a conflicted view on it. Like on the one hand, how can I possibly speak for, know a group of people that's as big and diverse and as crazy as as the the community that i came from um you know crazy in a good way of course and i always felt a little bit weird being asked to put in this position by the press and then the flip side of it was well you know better my voice than no one's right even though i'm an inadequate spokesman for you know white working class americans or maybe appalachian americans um it's at least better to have one voice out there than no one's and so you know, well I I I didn't I didn't say yes to every media interview. I said I said yes to a lot of them. And I, I tried as best as I could to try to explain this mental frame of rest, reference for the people that I came from. And I'm sure that I always did a, a pretty inadequate job. You know, I I sometimes felt like Jane Goodall must have felt, you know, where where they're they're like they're asking me these questions like, you know, you've actually spent time among these great eights. Like you've, you've seen them communicate with each other and speak with one another and, you know, pick bugs out of each other's hair. Like, what are they actually like? What are they thinking and feeling? And, you know, even, even the questions themselves were so loaded, but I, I still tried to do the best that I could and try to give some voice to a group of people that I, I really do think have been largely ignored and largely condescended to by a lot of a lot of the, Uh, the people who run our big media institutions. And so, yeah, it was was always this like uneasy spokesmanship role. And I'm kind of glad that, you know, there were a lot of bad things that happened after the 2016 election. I mean, you may remember this, Josh, there was like a two week period where everyone was like, well, you know, we're gonna be empathetic and sympathetic towards the Trump voter. We're gonna try to understand where people came from and, you know, why they elected this guy and why they're upset with the direction of the country. And that literally lasted it felt like for two weeks and then it was like well either trump stole the election with the help of vladimir putin or all of the people who voted for him are racists or bigots uh, or maybe both of those things are true and this like this brief period where i kind of felt optimistic about the direction of the country at right after trump one was just totally obliterated and i realized that you know there, there 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 was there was not much of an appetite to actually get to know the people who were most enthusiastic about trump and most discouraged i think about the direction of the country not just over the last four years the last you know 10 to 20 to 30 years
3: but in in some ways it's a familiar place for those of us who are not from the coasts there's a a moment where everybody sort of pats you on your head and said oh isn't that cute let's listen to them and then ultimately you got to go back to figuring out how to you know sort of take them out of the conversation, right? But, and you wrote about some of this and, and I, I don't imagine that was basically your early life ending up at Yale Law School, right?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. There's, there's always a bit of a way in which you become a token or you become a representative for an entire group of people because you know, you go to a place like Yale and almost all of the people come from more or less the same background, right? There's There's maybe a little bit of racial diversity. There's maybe a little bit of diversity and where people went to school you know some people went to Harvard for undergrad some people went to Yale some people went to Stanford uh, but, you know, that, that was like diversity to them was was, you know, well, this guy in our friend group went to Cal Berkeley for undergrad. <laughs> so there's definitely a weird way where you, you do become this sort of like representative for a group of people. And for most people, it's not like a negative thing. Right. It's, it's your curiosity. You're interesting. They want to understand where you came from. For some people, they're definitely a little condescending. And that's kind of how the mainstream press reacted to the book at first. Right, it was like, you know, we don't look at this guy as an equal. He certainly doesn't belong in this in this group of people. Uh, but like, it's interesting, right? What he's talking about is interesting. We're going to be fascinated by it. We're going to give him some airtime, and then some people were condescending and very you know, critical, very mean in different ways. Um, but that that was, you're definitely right that the way that I sort of encountered the elite world at Yale Law School was not all that dissimilar from the way the media encountered me when the book came out. And uh, in, in some ways, I guess I was a little prepared for it, but uh, I'm sure in in other ways, I continue to be unprepared for, you know, for this. In the same way you, you, you mentioned, I think when you come from a part of the country that isn't very well represented in these elite circles, you're always kind of one foot in one one place and one foot in the other. You always sort of feel deeply committed to your own people, uh, but you also recognize that these new these th- these new folks that you spend time with, they have a lot of power and influence, and they hold a lot of the keys to a lot of the opportunities that are out there, right? And I think you're always trying to find some balance between being true to who you are, but also taking advantage of whatever opportunities these outsiders are going to give you.
3: Yeah. And w- what I like most about your story, and I think in many ways it parallels what we're seeing in the- political movements in this country is that you never just picked up and went home right you just yep. kind of kept fighting you, you kept who you were but you kept you know shoving people into lockers as we say on, on the Ruthless Variety program and <laughs> I can't imagine I mean Yale of all places that had to have been a real culture shock for you
2: oh absolutely more than anything I had ever experienced you know my my like Post high school trajectory was I enlisted in the Marine Corps, and that's definitely a culture shock in its own way. You know, standing on the yellow footprints, having a drill instructor yell at you. Um, you know, went from there to Ohio State, from there to Yale Law School, and you know, all these places. As, as much as they were different, I you know got a great education. Really loved Ohio State, but it was it was not that different, right? Uh, the people that I spent my time around, you know, all of my friends, the people that I lived with at Ohio State. You know, almost all of them grew up within 10 miles of where I grew up in Southwestern yeah. Ohio, right? Um, even though it was a, a nice university, it was not like a radically different culture from the place that I had come from. But Yale really was totally different, right? You, you would hear people talk um about how they were middle class and it's like oh cool so what's your dad do (laughs) oh he's he's the head of surgery at Brigham and (laughs) Women's Hospital and you know my mom is is a chemist at Harvard it's like oh yeah middle class that's what that means in Middletown (laughs) yeah totally
3: totally (laughs) Rethwick County's got a lot of that kind of middle class right yeah
2: exactly yeah that's yeah that's that's middle class in southeastern Kentucky um so there's there's definitely just a way in which the expectations that people have, the way they define themselves uh, is just totally radically different. And the way that I I found it most bizarre is that a lot of relationships were really transactional, right? If I think about the friends that I acquired for the first 30 years of my life, right? It was people you know, you shared something in common with them some common value even if it was just like we really like ohio state football and we want to talk about you know who like the backup left guard is on the ohio state offensive line next year your friendships were more about the things that that matter they were less about what somebody could accomplish for you and more about you know what values you had in common with somebody and the the really weird thing about yale is that there was this constant networking going on in the background, right? People were constantly sort of, I, I want to get in front of this professor because this professor knows such and such and such and such knows somebody that I want to work for. Or, you know, this professor is really well respected by this federal judge that I eventually want to clerk for. Mm-hmm. Or I heard that this professor used to work at this law firm and still has connections there. Like, I wonder how I can get a, a good relationship with that just person. So, just
3: sort of like a vacant emotional yeah way of handling it.
2: Yeah. It's it's just a hyper transactional way. Like I'm going to build relationships based on what these people can accomplish for me, not any shared value system or shared goals or anything like that. And, And again, I don't think that it was like, I don't mean this as a, as a pure criticism. It's definitely a weird way to go about building relationships, but I think a lot of these kids, that was just the way that it worked right in their cultural that, that was how you dealt with people is you were constantly trying to get ahead. And, you know, it, it was my first introduction to just the world of our sort of striving elite. You know, people are constantly thinking about how they can climb that next rung on the social ladder. And that's just not how I grew up. Right. Even the people in my hometown who were very ambitious, they were ambitious in just a radically different way. Right. It wasn't like I'm going to, I'm going to figure out and plot How I can get five steps ahead in five years. It was, well, I'd really like to be a doctor, so I'm gonna work really hard and figure out how I can become a doctor, right? It was just a different way in which I think ambition manifested itself, but it made me feel pretty icky, right? Because I just wasn't accustomed to thinking about people like that. You know, if I wanted to get to know a professor, it was because, you know, she wrote a really cool book, not because I really wanted her to write a letter of recommendation for me four years down the road.
3: Totally, totally. It's so funny that you mentioned that. So much of that resonates with my side. I remember getting to DC; it was very similar, right? And then with the, yeah. ad, the social media, you see some, somebody says something or writes something really nice about you. I, I when I first got to DC, I had like a real aversion to retweeting it, right? I'm like, oh, I can't do that, right? Because yeah. like, that's where you're from, and that's kind of like the it's the difference between that sort of Midwestern or, or culturally conservative point of view that you're talking about and this very transactional corporate minded side of kind of elite mindset, which I think is, and this is the conversation I wanted to get into because I think you were sort of first to the fire in diagnosing this very real cultural difference and extrapolating it out to the pillars of like corporate America
2: mm. right?
3: and woke America. I, I heard you talking about woke, Ameri- woke corporations almost before anybody else.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: Do you think it's this that's that's sort of begun to drive that? I, I
2: think I think that there there is a big part of this going on, right? So what I started to realize, you know, when I was not quite a student at Yale, but you know, maybe twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen, I had moved out to Silicon Valley. I was working in the technology world. And the the framework that I had before I got there was that, you know. Conservatives owned the business and financial institutions. Like Silicon Valley was kind of a conservative world, just because it was the business world. Maybe it was more libertarian than conservative, but it was certainly on the right of center. And you know, the media, the academy, these were all left-wing institutions. And so, if you were left-wing, you went into those places, and you were right-wing, you went to go and work at Google or Facebook. And you know, I I got out of Silicon Valley, and I realized, like, very quickly that while there was a little bit of a libertarian bent out there, it's pretty clear that a lot of the most left-wing people were going out to work in Silicon Valley tech companies, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I, it started to really dawn on me that, you know, eventually these people who are like junior engineers or junior HR people at Google, they're going to start to control the direction of this company, right? They're going to start to influence what policies, what politics, what cultural influence this company has And I think that's a big part of what's going on with wokeness in America is that a lot of people who would have traditionally went and worked at left-wing institutions, went and worked at big companies or big businesses, and they changed the culture along with them. So we're just sort of seeing the natural consequence of a lot of left-wing people starting to take over these institutions. I think there are like deeper and more fundamental structural questions. Like I, 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 I do think that you know, one of the reasons why Silicon Valley has gone woke, and again, this is something I started to to recognize very early on, is that, you know, the Valley was very cognizant of the fact that it was not a national business place, right? It was not like Silicon Valley's profits did not derive, especially in the future primarily or at least exclusively from the United States right they needed to have good relationships in Europe they needed to have good relationships in China and other parts of East Asia and India and and there there was a real recognition that these companies because their bread wasn't buttered by the American consumer anymore or by the American government uh, that I think they would become more international and focused and that would obviously influence their politics as well and you know, just one pretty obvious example of this is you know Google, pretty much does no work with the U.S. Department of Defense, right, for a couple of different reasons, both because it's increasingly international customer base doesn't want it to, but also because it's woke American lefty base of employees, they don't want to work at a company that does work with the Department of Defense. Um, But Google does actually work with a lot of foreign militaries, including the Chinese military, uh, on, on a lot of different things. Of course, other companies do as well. And that's never as controversial among the people who consider themselves sort of woke and socially progressive uh, because that that's for, I think, complicated reasons. That's just not where their focus is, right? They don't care if Google works with a foreign adversary that's imprisoning and enslaving millions of people. They just don't want that company to work with the American Department of Defense. And I think that's incredibly irrational, um, but it's also, you know, pretty consistent with how like the American hyper left has operated towards the U.S. government for the past 30 or 40 years. And so, again, in some ways, it's just the left wing of the country moving into the business institutions in a way that they'd always avoided.
3: Yeah, it's amazing. Well, let's talk politics for a minute. Sure. Because I I think we've seen this natural transition as, as someone who is sort of your an unelected and probably unrequested spokesperson for a whole bunch of people uh, in this country, you were put in a place where you brought to life uh, an awful lot of the thoughts and concerns of generations of Americans that frankly didn't have a voice for a long time. And so now you are being asked uh, by a number of people to consider politics yourself. Where's your thought process on that? And just to be clear for our listeners, um, there's an awful lot of people in Ohio asking JD to run for Senate. Uh, in an open seat vacated uh, will be in 2022 by Rob Portman. Where's your thought process on that?
2: Yeah, so you're definitely thinking about it uh, pretty seriously. I thought about it briefly in 2018, decided not to do it for for a host of reasons we we can get into. But, you know, for me, really the question is, like, can I actually do anything with a U.S. Senate platform because my life is really good. It's going to require a lot of sacrifices to actually get that platform, and I want to have some confidence that if I can if I can be the senator or a U.S. senator for the state of Ohio, that I actually do something meaningful uh, to solve the state's and the country's problems. Um, and I'm, i you know I, I think I, I don't have like all the time in the world to make that decision. I mean, part of that is like, am I the right voice at this right at this moment in time? Uh, part of it is like the policies that I think are best for the country to pursue, are they policies that are actually going to do a lot of good, but can they can they actually get a political movement behind them? Because it's one thing to have good policies, but you actually have to get elected uh, right. to enact or support any of them. So it's it's really just thinking through like, am I the the right guy to serve the people of Ohio in this national platform? um and that's you know that's a pretty complicated decision my wife is very supportive of that's sort of the most important and the biggest the biggest hurdle she's very supportive of it i'm I'm obviously very interested in it um but that that's kind of the thing that i'm still figuring out and that's that's a pretty complicated question um you know but 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 to me it's it's like my vision of the country is pretty pretty simple and pretty straightforward like I, i think that if you work hard and you play by the rules you should be able to support a middle class family on a single job, right? And, and I think that's that 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 is like what I think America should be about. Is like if you're a hardworking guy and you wanna have a family and you wanna support that family in some middle class comfort, comfort, you should be able to do that so long as you work hard and and so long as you play by the rules. And you know, that implicates like a whole host of really complicated policy questions, right? I think you know, one part of having a middle class lifestyle is participating meaningfully in your own country in your the, the public affairs of your of your country and the 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 most common concern that i hear from people is well i'm terrified that if i say what i actually think at work i'm going to get fired right yeah. you can't be a real american participant in our country if you're worried you're going to get fired from your job or censored on social media and for, that certainly for, by the way has not stopped view. has not stopped the left by any a fraction
3: Right. No, it's that's not. The, no,
2: no. Exactly. And, and people on the left don't worry about this. If you're on the political left, you don't worry that your political views are going to cause consequences for you. If you're on the American right, almost everyone that I talk to is, right? Uh, that's also, of course, a question about jobs and the economy, right? How do we actually ensure uh, that we have a middle class economy that works for people, uh, not just for the very well educated, right? And, and I, I don't think that we should have this sort of society. Where if you want to have a middle class job, you have to go and spend four years getting a college degree, incurring a fair amount of debt, acquiring a skill that probably isn't even that connected to the job that you're ultimately going to do. Um, and, and so, I you know, I, I think it sort of implicates our education policy. Yeah, and absolutely. of course, it implicates our trade policy. Like, are there actually good jobs for middle class people to do or have we shipped all of them off to East Asia? So So like that vision, I guess, implicates a whole host of policy questions. Uh, but that, that's really sort of what I believe is like, you should be able to have a good life if you're a hardworking person in this country, it's that simple.
3: Now, it's uh, amazing to hear you talk with substance about that. That's a sort of a rarity you might find it surprising uh, in, in people who are seeking office. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's, the,
2: that's uh, yeah, that's depressing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> beneath the surface of the water there, JD, we really appreciate you actually putting some thought into what you do. <laughs> <laughs> how, how consequential. Um, but look, I, I think uh, this is an interesting time for a person like you. And obviously, it goes without saying that the primary is going to be a very competitive marketplace in Ohio. There's a, a number of candidates already in that race. You hadn't run for office before. Yep. Uh, but you've had an awful lot of life experiences in tricky situations where, you know, I, I, people who know you. Nobody wants to bet against you. So what do you think the lane is for J.D. Vance in Ohio?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I'm I'm probably, maybe it's just my political ignorance talking. I try to resist the lane talk a little bit because, you know, the the way it's often formulated is like there's a Trump lane and there's a moderate lane. And, you know, you, you may know, Josh, like I was not a Trump guy in 2016, was an enthusiastic supporter in 2020. Sort of, you know, took me a little while to come around. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't want to run as somebody else's person. I don't want to run as anything other than a senator who could potentially deliver good results for the constituents uh, in Ohio. Um, but but I also you know I don't want to run as like the moderate guy because that's not where my actual politics are. That's not how I how I see the world. Um, and so you know my my theory of this is that if I do pull the trigger it's to just be the most interesting candidate in the race, right? I think people get very bored with politics, even if they agree with the slogans they hear from politicians, you know, their eyes start to glaze over a little bit after a while. And and, and my thing is like, I'm going to talk about real things. I'm going to be my own man. And I'm going to try to make a pitch to the people that they're actually interested in hearing because I'm talking about something real. And I think that's that's the secret actually of of President Trump's appeal in 2016, is, you know, like, people wanted to cover the rhetoric and they wanted to cover, um, you know, the things that he said that were allegedly offensive, but that what they always missed was, he was actually saying something interesting and new, right? It wasn't just the same old slogans that they in for years. It was authentic um, and it was interesting. And I, I think that that would be my basic strategy is, you know, like, you see it on my social media. Hopefully, you see it in the way that I talk about things. It's just like talk about real things and be authentic about it, and hope that whether people are on you know the political moderate side or the political conservative side, uh, that they can find something about my authenticity and about the fact that I'm talking about real issues uh, to identify with and to support.
3: That's as good a plan as, as I've heard yet, JD. Uh, let me let me switch to the three questions. These suckers are important. <laughs> to the ruthless audience <laughs> right so yeah I'm test your authenticity here but uh because you'd be surprised the only way you screw these things up is when you try to be political yeah uh, yeah
2: right right
3: so the first question is your last meal on earth what would it be
2: yeah so i mean it would be a giant ribeye steak first yes. um you know, cooked, cooked, cooked medium rare with lots of salt, uh, some kind of potato, probably, probably just basic mashed potatoes, and then and then graters ice cream for dessert, which is kind of sounds like a political answer, maybe, because graters is a Cincinnati thing. But graters ice cream is actually just better than all the other ice creams that I've ever had. So <laughs> and I'm I'm like i I'm like an obsessive ice cream fan. So yeah, I, I would do that. I mean, the, the other thing I'll say about this is I am one of those people that is just a complete glutton about dessert, right? Like I, I, like I'm, I'm one of those people that I can't, you know, if my, if my wife or I make a dozen chocolate chip cookies, I can eat 12 chocolate chip cookies in one sitting. Now I'll feel a little bit bad about myself afterwards, but like a, a not a terrible backup answer would be I could just eat like 12 freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> <laughs> nice, that's authentic
3: if there ever was. <laughs> All right, so the second question. A little bit different for you, because I think we probably already know the answer. But if you weren't interested, let's broaden it out. If you weren't interested in politics, or sort of social commentary on where this country is, where do you think professionally you would find yourself uh, over the long term?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I I actually work in in the technology investment world. We sort of invest in and help early stage companies grow, and I've been able to to do this here in Cincinnati, which is which is where I'm at right now, my 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 home. Um, so that's that's probably a pretty good answer, um, and it's maybe too easy of an answer because that's actually what I do during my day job. Right. Um, you know, the the thing that I would love to do is train dogs, uh, um, especially German shepherds. I actually love, I love dogs. I think they're just, they're just a ton of fun.
3: Wait, wait, um, wait, 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 hold on. You want to train German shepherds? There's an opening in the White House.
2: <laughs> That's right. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, Biden has like this dog that bites everybody in the White House. Yeah, I've heard about this.
3: <laughs> for the love of God and all things safety for the people of the White House, go to 1600, offer your services. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I have no ability to do it yet because uh, I have I have no no requisite skills. Uh, but I, I think it would be super fun to just train and work with dogs because they're they're such cool creatures. They're so loyal, um, and uh, you know, would, would let you be outside a lot too, which I like being. Did
3: you did you work with dogs when you were in Iraq?
2: No, not at all. No, I, I I did not work with dogs when I was in Iraq. But we, you know, we always had dogs growing up, um, and and especially when when I was in Southeastern Kentucky with my grandma, there were always just sort of dogs around, you know, stray dogs that I would adopt and and and, and feed and bring into the house, even though she hated that. But I I, I just I've always been a dog person, um, and uh, you know, other than. Other than, you know, I mean, I, I'm like one of these people who really likes, you know, these little creatures. So I love kids. I love dogs. And I think uh, I think it'd be fun to work with dogs for a living.
3: That's a good answer. That's a good answer. All right. So here's the third and final question. What motivates J.D. Vance more? The thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? And here here's the way to think about it. I'll give you a little bit of a cheat code here. Yeah. The thrill of victory. Obviously, you're motivated by the win, you know. The way to think about the agony of defeat is that, like, that's Michael Jordan. Yeah, right? he's just physically pained. He can't. He can't live a second with the idea that he would lose something. Where do you fall on the spectrum?
2: I, I'm a hundred percent on the Michael Jordan side of this. <laughs> um, the The idea of there's loo- a
3: Midwestern guy through and through. Yeah,
2: right <laughs> yeah, but the the idea of losing anything is just. It's very very. You know it's very hard for me, and I you know I I see this in my my three year old son actually where he loves to you know he's starting to 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 be into like racing, and even though you know I'm obviously older than him if 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 he races me and I don't let him win he just he wants to kill me right he, he's so mad that he hasn't won or that he that he's lost right and, it, and it's it's not like he gets super excited if he's won he just hates to lose and I'm, I'm kind of like that actually I don't get that happy when I win, it's more just a relief that I haven't lost. <laughs> <laughs> You're
3: passing along the curse to the next generation. I'm yeah, like, yeah that's I right. like I look uh, at my own kids and I'm seeing the exact same thing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what do most people answer to that question? I mean, I've listened to the podcast a couple of times, but what, what is the most common answer? Because It's
3: an even split, to be okay. honest with you. But you can tell right away, based on somebody's personality, where they're from, what their background is you can tell what it's going to be, right? There's a lot of glass half full conservatives that, yeah. you know, you can tell right away. They're, they're an optimism person. They're, they're a win. They're, this is a thrill of victory type person. And then there are these like primarily in the Midwest driven people who, you know, like quit their, their basketball team when they were seven years old because they didn't make the all-star team. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> well, ask, ask my wife how fun it is. To play, like, board games with me. Oh, no. Be, 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 and, and, and it's, it's not – it's one of these things where we have to be on the same team. Because, okay, if we lose, that sucks. I don't like to lose. But if if, like, we lose and we're on the opposite side, it's just this soul-crushing, like, how can we even live in the same house together? I'm a loser – and you're a winner it's just not even it's not even okay so she hates to play we can only play board games if we're on the same team
1: oh it's so funny i have so many friends
3: with the same family dynamic it's like you got it <laughs> you got to choose these teams very carefully and you can't you can't willy-nilly it it needs to be thoughtful because there's going to be hours of silence
2: if we do it. yeah right. oh I've, yeah absolutely uh absolutely <laughs> so
3: listen JD, we can't thank you enough for the time that you've given us. I know you've got a lot to think about and uh and the ruthless fans, the minions out there are are very interested in what you ultimately decide.
2: Well, I appreciate that and uh you know, o- always enjoy talking to you guys um and and hopefully we can do it again soon. Yeah, stay in touch. Okay, take care man, see ya.
3: So here's the thing about JD. Whatever you think about, and and he's not afraid to enter into very controversial territory. Whatever you think about his perspective, he seems very authentic to me. Like he genuinely believes what he believes. Like he came out, he was like, look, I wasn't a Trump guy. I had a problem with, with Trump. He knows very well that if he runs for Senate, a huge segment of that primary electorate is entirely aligned with Trump. But he feels very comfortable saying that because he's like, look, that's not what you're ultimately going to vote for me is, is, am I the most Trump guy? I happen to support Trump. He voted for Trump, but like, that's more, he's more than that. He's got, which is interesting to me. I I kind of like, I wish we had more of that in politics. People were like, don't put me in the fricking box.
1: Yep. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard, dude. And you know this, you know, we've, we've dealt with a lot of, you know, political issues candidates and it's like it's very easy for people to get overcoached very early yeah you know yep, yep. um and i mean w- one of the big attractions to trump in 2016 was the fact that you couldn't put him in a box
3: mm-hmm. yep
1: you know and every time they thought they had a gotcha on him, it was like oh you donated to a democrat it's like well i donated to everybody yeah you know i was a businessman
0: Refuse- i gotta say you know concept. i i don't want to be official about it i hope i hope he runs I love what he has to say. We could use the first based senator. Great yeah. interview.
3: Great
0: it interview. interview.
3: It was a good interview. We'll see what happens. And if he gets in, we'll follow it closely. And he did agree that if he gets in, he'll come back and, and share his new perspective on what it's like to be a Senate candidate. So Hell, if
0: he runs, he should announce on the show. That should become a thing now.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Push him on that.
0: <laughs> so All right, pal. I think that's, that's a wrap. What a great episode. I told you folks, it's going to be like a Red Bull and a vodka. It's going to hit and keep rolling. <laughs> so until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.